You know what? How in the how can how can we live in this state? And how can there not be a national outcry when Alabama's death penalty laws, the two laws that we have that result in people being sentenced to death, two out of three, are based on race. One is was specifically designed to target black people, the non-unanimous juries, and the other, the judicial override, has been applied in a way that results in racial discrimination, racial bias against blacks. Alrighty, welcome in. Another fantastic week. Your favorite political podcast, Alabama Politics This Week, with Josh Moon and David Person. How are you, David? Man, I'm good. I was uh, was out and I, I, I found a way uh, to escape the snow to get out to Sacramento, California and do some work only to be there for five days, five rainy, relatively chilly days. Uh, Better than being here stuck was, in the house with the ice and snow, but still, you know, miserable. It was the worst snow I've ever been a part of. Yes, it, it was, was, it was terrible. It was, I mean, it was, yeah. it was, you couldn't, it, but listen, I, I like, I like snow. I like snow fine. All right. I'm not, yeah. I'm not that person. I'm not the, oh my God, it's snowing. It's going to be awful. Uh, you know, it's fine. You know, the kids get excited. I, you know, my daughter, loves, she loves it. And, uh, you know, she's so excited. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't yeah. do anything with this. It was just ice is what it was. I mean, it was just yeah. everywhere you went, you fell, you know? I mean, it was just, you just slid around everywhere. So, uh, so I left here, we slid out of my neighborhood and literally, <laughs> I mean, slid out of my neighborhood, the driver that I hired and I slid out of here, uh, Thursday, late Thursday morning. I come back, I fly in this way. This is Tuesday when we're recording this. I, I fly back into Huntsville Tuesday morning. And Josh, I had to gingerly walk up my stairs, my front stairs, because there was still ice. Yes. You know, on my front stairs. Mm-hmm. Like, my my daughter's still out of school. Really? Yeah. Yeah. She my goes to, you know, she's, she's in a limestone County school and okay. uh, the, the back roads are apparently still frozen. Uh, you know, wow. where there, there's trees hanging over the road, there's shade and stuff. So the sun okay. uh, can't melt, couldn't melt it uh, still. Uh, and, you know, and I would be uh, upset about it and think, well, this is insane, you know. Uh, but the the thing is, is uh, I went to play basketball at uh, at Priceful High School uh, uh-huh. the other night uh, on Sunday night. But a bunch of old guys get up and play, uh, play ball up there. And uh, as I uh, was trying to go up to the main doors, they got a big, nice gym there. Uh, uh-huh. and, and they've got a big entryway that you go in. It was a solid sheet of ice. Oh, night. man. I mean, just a solid sheet of ice. I had to go around to the backside to, to get in. And um, I mean, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it's still still an issue. It, it's crazy. I mean, man, it, it, because it was it was so cold. It was uh and I hate the cold. Uh, but I hate the cold. I tell you what I should have done. I tell you what we both should have done. Well, I mean, after you got back from Sacramento, what we both should have done is uh, we should have booked a stay at Wind Creek, one of the Wind Creek Entertainment. You places. know what? That's uh, not a bad idea. Yeah, that's, that's uh, not a I bad mean, idea. 
It's a great idea. I mean, those mm-hmm. uh, those places are, uh, you know, I guarantee you they were warm and uh, mm-hmm. warm and happening and fuzzy. And you could have gotten something to eat, unlike going to your local grocery store where there was right. nothing on the shelves. Uh, <laughs> man, I would. Could you imagine booking a stay at the, at a Wing Creek place and then getting kind of snowed in for five days? I mean, it was, how yeah. great would that be? It's, yeah. uh, you, know, you can play the games. Yeah. You got the. You're in the in the four star hotel. It's uh It's just great. You got the spa. Got everything they'd, going. They'd on. have to kick me out. I wouldn't want to leave voluntarily. They'd have <laughs> yeah. to forcibly remove yeah. me from yeah. my room. I'm sorry, I live here now. I'm a squatter. Um, <laughs> it's uh, no, I mean it. Uh, it is, man. It's uh, it, it's a great place. Uh, look them up. Uh, look them up online uh, at, at Wing Creek Entertainment, and uh, and it'll take you right to the to the locations. You can you can pick one a place out for you uh, for you to go and, and stay. They they have hotels and uh, and resorts basically uh, in Atmore, Wetumpka, and Montgomery. Uh, pick one of those if you if, or if you're traveling, uh, look them up and, and see the different destinations. They've got some in some islands destinations that you might uh, you might like because they're all mm-hmm. top of the line uh, places they do it with quality and you'll you'll always enjoy the stay wherever you go this there's a reason why they're Alabama's number one hospitality employer and uh, one of the the best employers in the state and uh, you know they're good partners and they're good people and and we appreciate them uh, sponsoring this fine podcast and help yeah, them out uh, all right uh, let's um, let's get into uh, the Democrats um, have a um, a little bit of an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it 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 seems it seems uh, that they are now at odds with the national party over the selection of delegates, um, which I don't I don't really understand because it seems like, if I'm not mistaken, Obama did something very similar to what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris administration is doing. In fact, uh, it almost seems to me like what Obama did was more. Uh, if I'm understanding the story correctly, it seems like what he did was even more um, should have been more challenging for them because there's still time for mm-hmm. for delegates to be selected that meet the benchmark that they're supposed to reach. Right. I, I, I'm going to be 100 percent honest here, uh, okay. as I always am. Uh, but okay. I, I, and and just say I, I'm. I'm not very familiar with the delegate process. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't really know what goes into this. I don't understand why it's such a coveted thing to go and stand in the room uh, at the at the convention and wave the sign. I mean, I, I'm, it would be a nice thing, a nice time, I guess, if you wanted to do that sort of thing, and you know, and I, it would be a good experience. Uh, but I don't understand why so many people fight for it and want it so badly. Uh, but so maybe. Maybe you have better insight on this than I do, because I, I just I I am unfamiliar with this whole selection process and and why the why the president uh, can can make selections uh, on behalf of the states. I, I don't understand why how that how that really works. And um and, and I've never honestly I've, I've heard about it for years and I've never really cared to learn. Yeah. And I and I am probably less familiar with it than you are. But I will say from my reading, mm-hmm. it, it appears to me as though this is old time democratic politics where you have, um, you know, you have power that's sort of uh, parceled out. But but like all machine politics and, you know, growing up in Chicago, I know a little something about machine politics. Right, right, it, it, right. it does seem as though there's always the desire for 
whoever's running the machine, in this case, the Biden campaign, to to have um, to have, you know, the ability to influence and um, and dole out influence. Right. Okay. And so the delegate process, I think, is being used much in the same way. It's almost uh, it's sort of like the old Chicago patronage process where the uh, the the alderman, which would be in Chicago, uh, an alderman is what we would call in Huntsville or Madison, a city council person. Right. Where they have the ability to buy influence based on favors that they can dole out. And so I think this is this is just another version of that, the way I understand it. But but what I don't but like you, I I don't really I've never gone to a convention. You know, so I've only seen, you know, what's televised of conventions. And so I'm not sure what the appeal is. Only only I can speculate that there's a certain amount of prestige in mm-hmm. being able to say that one has attended the the convention or one was selected as a delegate. And then also, you know, Josh, when people go to these conventions, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like going to Vegas, I suspect. Oh, yeah? I suspect that what party. happens at the convention stays, oh, stays, at, the it, convention stays at the convention. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, what I, I suspect. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I guess I would I would enjoy the experience to go uh, yeah. at, at some point and not, you know, the, the stays there, go, you know, whatever. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, because the, that. the woman you yeah. live with would not allow that. <laughs> no, 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 no. She would not. She would not. Uh, it's that's uh, a matter of fact. There's no chance I'm going to the convention now. Right. Uh, but especially uh, after this podcast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless we're going as a team. Unless we're going as a go. team. There yeah. you go. Uh, there you but. Go. Um, you know, no, it's, um, uh, I, 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 you know what I'm saying? I I guess it would be, it would be interesting to go once and, Mm -hmm. and see what was, you know, see what it's all about. Maybe I would have a better understanding of it, but, um, I, I just, so, so I guess we should also now describe what's, what's taking place, uh, with with what Joe Reed has threatened a lawsuit against, Mm -hmm. uh, the democratic party because they have come in and said 74, 74 yeah. delegates, is that right? Yeah. Uh, can, yeah. Cannot, they're, they're going to repick those delegates, right? The party is going to repick those delegates. Now, I don't think they're going to repick all of them, are they? Are they going to repick all of them? That wasn't I, I, th- I, thought seven, I thought 74 was just a piece of the delegates that were going. And mm. and that's and that's the the portion that they were going to pick, okay. but I, I mean I, again again I, you know I I read the stories and and I it, I've got to say even after reading the stories I was still kind of confused about what was going on and then then I texted somebody I was like hey could you explain this to me like I'm you know ten uh <laughs> you know what what the hell's going on and and I'm assuming the person did explain it to it like I was ten and I should have said explain it to it to me like I was five right. uh, because I still don't fully understand exactly what's going on and why there's such an uproar over this. Why, why, why Joe Reed is so angry. Um, and he is, he is very angry. Yeah. The tone of uh, the tone of the letter that he sent to them uh, is pretty strong. Now he's saying that there were 74 four people scratched but as I read the rest of the story, it didn't seem to me like there were 74 people being scratched. And it also sounded to me like 
there is still the ability of uh, the Biden campaign to reach. I think the threshold they're trying to reach is 61 percent mm-hmm. of the delegates being black. Okay. And 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 as I as I read the story, it appeared to me that they still have an opportunity to do that. They haven't reached the final deadline yet. And I think that's that's coming up next month. And I mean, obviously, we're just a few days away from next month, but they still have time. So right. I don't know if this is some kind of posturing, you, you know, I, I, you can't I, I don't know. I, it doesn't seem to me like we can really thoroughly examine this without also factoring in the overarching issue, which is this bylaws battle that's still going on. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it seemed like, uh, honestly, uh, you know, it, it seems like a kind of a power play from mm. the, from the democratic party that says, listen, you keep screwing around with us and let me show you what power we wield here. Okay. Mm. Um, and, and this is, this is what they have threatened. Let's be honest. This is this, they, it, it's not like they've hidden this from them. Mm. They've said, if you don't, if your bylaws do not comply with what we're wanting here, you have the possibility that we're going to take steps. You know, first of all, they said that you, you may not be able to send any delegates mm. Uh, mm. to the to the convention. And now it seems as though they're heavily involved in the delegate selection process. But that said, the person who described this thing to me said that it's not unco- this is not uncommon and that even in this year, that the Biden administration, like other previous administrations, had been involved in other states' selection process. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe maybe not to that degree, or maybe maybe Joe Reed is not not accustomed to other people selecting the black delegates. Uh, yeah, maybe. Again, I think it. I mean, to me, it just as I as I read, you know, as I researched this, it just seemed like the old patronage system. And I would think that Joe Reed would have some understanding of that and maybe even some sympathy for that. I mean, that's, you know, the power, the power goes to the, what is what that? That's not the term. The victory goes to the spoil, the spoils go to the victor, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I finally got it right. To the victor go the spoils. Yeah. Yeah, It's uh, yeah. 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 So, so, you know, I mean, that's, that's what this is, I think. Yeah. I, I just, I'll tell you what it is. No matter what the specifics here, okay, and and no matter how fuzzy we are on the exact specifics or what's what's taking place with this, um, it's not good, okay. It's not. It's another. It's another problem for the Alabama party, mm-hmm. um, you know. And 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 it's it you you're not gonna. It seems impossible to advance. When you continue to fight amongst yourselves yeah. and with the powers of the party which you are a part of, yeah. and and that's the biggest thing to me, you're you're alienating a group of people. It seems that could do tremendous good in helping you move forward because they have a lot of money that you don't have. Exactly, and and that's where I was I was going uh, sort of parallel to that, Josh is. So you're 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 constantly in battles with the people that have the resources that you need, and you're a red state. Yeah, you're a red state. So you don't have any real leverage because you don't have a lot to offer the party in terms of real, um, I'll say real a real opportunity. Even though, of course, we'd like to hope and think 
that uh, things will eventually cycle back around. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly here in Madison County, we are optimistic of that. You know, we're seeing even with the um, upcoming election of Maryland lands, uh, hopefully, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to see that. Hopefully she'll be elected. Uh, so, you know, but 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 still, Alabama's a red state and the Alabama Democratic Party does not have a lot to offer the the national party. So it seems to me like they would be making efforts to build bridges and yeah. to develop relationships and to try to get the resources in that the national party can can bring to try to help move this state you know, more towards a purple color. But this, but like you're saying, the status quo, this back and forth, that's not helping. No, it's not. And, and you know, and there was, uh, there was a push not, not too long ago uh, mm-hmm. among some Democrats uh, with the National Party to say, hey, look, um, you know, during the last few election cycles, you, you've spent nothing. In the state of Alabama, you've, you've basically disregarded the state as you know a red state that where you're not going to win. And and while that's that's true enough, and we understand the problems, um, what you could do here and in other red states is devote more resources, devote a significant amount of resources, uh, and force some of these uh, candidates in the Republican Party to defend their turf. Mm-hmm. which will cause them to spend money that they didn't expect to spend uh, and will then siphon money away from some of these other races that are mm-hmm. going on. Now, of course, that works both ways, you know. But at the same time, as you do that, you're building something within those red states. You're building yeah. up name recognition. You're putting people out there. You're, you're creating uh, something that, that could be carried forward in, forward in future elections. Um, you know, you, you don't make a lot of headway <laughs> with that plan uh, in doing this, um, and, you know, because I, I do believe that the Democratic Party is going to do that in some of these in some red states. Um, and, and try to, you know, maybe follow like the Georgia model, for example, and, and say, hey, there may be pathways in some of these states that we've written off as just red states, you know, the, the Mississippis and Louisianas and Arkansas and other places where we, we might have a pathway to these places. And I think Arkansas is going to get a real look at that uh, in, in that regard. But, you know, you, I, honestly, man, I'm just tired of, of this. Hmm. I am. I mean, it just is all the time. It's all all the time. There's a fight. And if you're all the time fighting with the people that you're on the same side with, that you're not leaving yourself a whole lot of time to fight the other side. Yeah. And and you and you give and, and you certainly make it easy for the Republicans to continue to focus on their agenda because they don't have to worry about us. At all, <laughs> you know, because we're punching yeah. each other, you yeah, know. At all, and and the other thing that's interesting about this to me, and maybe we need to try to get um, either Chairman, either Chairman Kelly or or Doctor. Oh, we will. We'll get him on next week. We'll yeah. get him on next week. Yeah, yeah, let's try to do that because maybe he can clarify this for us. But the, because the other thing that that comes to mind as I've as I've looked at this story is that. You know, Reed is saying, and I think Kelly is saying too, yeah, we got these problems, but we don't blame Harris or Biden, or I should say Biden or Harris, and we think it's going to be resolved. Well, if you think it's going to be resolved, 
Why the yeah. heck did you bring it up in the first place? Yeah, why are you, why are you making this public spectacle yeah. of the whole thing? Yeah, you know, I mean, come on now. Which again says to me, this is posturing. Well, this mm-hmm. this is my assumption, and maybe Chairman Kelly will correct me uh, on <laughs> this, but I just, to me, this is just posturing, and yeah. it's tied into something else. It's really about something else. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, I mean, I think it's all part of the same same old fight that we've we've been carrying on for a while. And you know, and, and listen, we we would have we would have had them on. It's my fault uh, that we don't have them on this week. It, I, I've got you know to to get out early. We're we're taking a little uh, trip uh, this week, and so I'm going to be out at the end of the week. And so we recorded the podcast early. Uh, we, this this news story was was dropped last night on Monday night, and we're recording on Tuesday. And we just didn't have time to uh, to get them in. And so um, you know we're, we. We will next week and and cover it more thoroughly and get kind of more to the bottom of of what's taking place. But, um, you know, it just is a um, it's just discouraging. You know what I mean? Again, it's another time that we we talk about the Alabama Democratic Party and we say, you know, it's just discouraging what's taking place. And it and it's another self-inflicted fight. You know, it's a and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong in this. It does not matter at all. It doesn't matter if uh, if we find out later that the the National Party uh, was really the one to blame for this and and that they were in the wrong that it doesn't matter. It's still harmful. It's still, you know, this whole this whole you've made it a public spectacle is now you're fighting with the, uh, you know, with the party again. And 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 for what? And, and for what? Yeah, what, what, is, what have we gained from this? Which is why, to me, it just seems like posturing, and it just seems like it's really about this, uh, these other issues. But anyway, yeah. I guess we'll, yeah. we'll hear more about it hopefully next week, or get some clarity on it hopefully next yeah. week. I don't know if we'll get clarity, but we'll definitely hear more about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's slide out of here. We come back. Uh, former Governor Don Siegel is going to join us and and talk about uh, uh, the 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 prison issue and uh, the execution of Kenneth Smith uh, that's scheduled to take place uh, mm-hmm. Thursday evening and mm-hmm. um, and and what's led to some of that and some of the laws that we have in this state and and give his take on on kind of what's going on. And David and I will sit quietly and listen. So uh, we we will uh, be back in just a minute. Alabama politics this this week brought to you by Wind Creek Entertainment. Back in a minute. Hey, uh, if y'all would do us a favor and uh, go to, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go and rate and review our little podcast here. Uh, that would be very, very helpful for us. Uh, you know, people might pay us to do this. Uh, you never know. Yeah, but yeah, but let's not stop at Apple. Also, uh, you can do the same thing on Google Play, Amazon, yeah. and some of the more Android-friendly, uh, you know, platforms uh, as well. I forget that David's an Android guy. I am. <laughs> Me, I'm a conformist. And so, you know, go to Apple. But seriously, wherever you go, just do it. Just, just go and, and rate and review, and, and that would be very nice. Unless you're going to leave a bad one. Don't do, don't do that. Just don't, don't, that. don't leave a bad one. Thank you. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person, and we are happy to again be joined by uh, go- former Governor Don Siegelman, uh, who is uh, kind enough to uh, spend some time with us on, on a few occasions and is back again this week. And, uh, and, and we're, we're always happy to have you. Uh, I know this is not 
uh, probably going to be a, a very pleasant uh, you know, conversation that we're going to have because it involves some very serious issues and, and life or death. But, Governor, we, we really appreciate you coming on and spending some time, and, and, and we appreciate yes. the work that you're doing. Yes. Well, I, <clears throat> thank you. I, uh, yeah, for the last couple of years, I've, I've tried to dig into Alabama's uh, death penalty laws and those who are on death row. Um, a couple of years ago, I partnered with a young lady named Lauren Ferreno, who's a, uh, recently became a uh, an Alabama lawyer. She was already a lawyer and, and qualified, <clears throat> but Lauren had uh, just finished representing Nathaniel Woods, who was a young black man who had been uh, convicted of murder for something a crime he did not commit, mm-hmm. uh, and she was fighting to keep him from being executed. Uh, she failed. The um, we spoke to Georgetown's uh, law school uh, death penalty clinic a couple of a couple of times, and from that we got a, got some interns who we asked to dig into our uh, the statistics and the people on death row, who how they were sentenced, what their juries looked like, if we could find that out, who the who the judges were, uh, what race uh, the the defendants, what race, the judges. And, and then I ask them also to dig into uh, those people who uh, petitioned me as governor for clemency. Uh, I did not grant clemency. But after I was convicted of something that was only concocted in the minds of prosecutors, I realized that our system could be gamed. And uh, when I heard the words guilty, I immediately thought of those people who came to me to be rescued. Um, And I said a quiet prayer asking God to forgive me for my failure. Um, In the course of their investigation, of the people who came before me seeking clemency. There was one gentleman who today, 24 years later, I am convinced was wrongfully charged, wrongfully convicted, and wrongfully sentenced to death. Um, Over the course of 24 years, lots of facts and and information has come forward that wasn't available to me at the time. A lot of it was prevented from being presented in court because it was time barred. Uh, but clearly now I'm, I'm I'm convinced. Yes, he was he was there at the murder scene, uh, but he didn't commit the murder. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm saying this from someone who himself has has failed in a sense. <clears throat> but also one who has uh, come to realize that our, our system of justice uh, is indeed broken. It's broken when prosecutors get 99% of the, of the indictments they want. Uh, it's broken when the Supreme Court in 1976, uh, in the Embler case, said that prosecutors could present false evidence, false testimony, and withhold exculpatory evidence and not be sued civilly. 
It's obviously broken when in 2010, the Solicitor General argued to the U.S. Supreme Court that, and I quote, U.S. citizens do not have a constitutional right not to be framed. Um, that was in the case, by the way, where two teenage uh, black men were framed for a crime they clearly didn't commit, spent 25 years in prison, and were suing for civil damages. Here in Alabama, we've witnessed the exoneration of uh, uh, a couple of people from Alabama's death row, uh, most recently Anthony Ray Hinton. Mm -hmm. There are other people on Alabama's death row whose sentences should haunt Alabama leaders to Forrest Johnson, another black man who yes, is not, yes. not connected to the murder scene, was convicted by a non-unanimous jury or sentenced to death on a non-unanimous jury recommendation and whose witness was paid $5,000 for her testimony. Right. Another black gentleman Rocky Myers, likewise, was not connected to the murder scene, uh, was clearly did, did not, um, there was no evidence that, that uh, he touched the, the victim. His jury recommended life in prison on a vote of nine to three, but the jury uh, was overridden by a judge who sentenced him to death. Mm -hmm. David, uh, I know the last time we talked, I think I, I touched your heart because yes, sir. you saw immediately what was what was happening. But I did some did some further research based on what these Georgetown law students found. And in 2020, the the Trump appointed Supreme Court justices in 2020 and 2020. Uh, ruled in the Ramos versus Louisiana case that in order to convict someone of a capital crime warranting death, there had to be a unanimous jury. But more importantly, or just as importantly for me, the court found that this system of non-unanimous juries came about after the Civil War, after Blacks were freed and became eligible to serve on juries. White folks before that time were perfectly happy with having a unanimous jury because I guess they wanted a fair trial. Mm -hmm. But when Black men and women could serve on juries, they realized they could no longer simply take the life of a black person if there was a black juror, because the likelihood was that a black juror would not consent to the death sentence. Mm -hmm. So they came up with this system of non-unanimous jury recommendations. Alabama has been the only state to adhere to this relic of the Jim Crow era. We have 115 people, including to Forrest Johnson, serving on Alabama's death row based on a law that was clearly targeted to, to execute black folks. Mm -hmm. We have another law, the judicial override, or at least we had one, 
the Supreme Court in 2016 in the, a case involving Florida, it was Hearst versus Florida, they ruled that only a jury could sentence someone to death, not a judge. So in 2017, our governor, to her credit, Kay Ivey, a Republican, uh, signed a bill passed by uh, Hank Sanders and, and uh, Dick Brubaker, a Republican, Hank Sanders, a Democrat, uh, that outlawed judicial overrides. Yet we still have 31 people who are on death row based on an unconstitutional uh, procedure, criminal justice procedure, that resulted in them being on death row, and a law which has now been banned in Alabama. Of the 31 people there, hmm. of the 31 sentenced to death by a judicial override, 61% are guess what color? Black. Black. Now, just, you know, blacks make up approximately 26% of Alabama's population, so it's more than double. So blacks are more than twice as likely, were more than twice as likely to be sentenced to death based on judicial overrides. The Equal Justice Initiative found that in non-election years, or in a non-election year, they did a snapshot study, uh, judicial overrides uh, uh, accounted for 7% of those people sentenced to death. But in a, an election year, the next year, when Alabama judges, circuit judges, ran for election, Judicial overrides to sentence people to death rose to thirty percent. No, yeah. Wow. That's wow. it. Just simply, it just simply screams that they were looking for votes based on being uh, perceived as tough on crime, and the likelihood was that if you were black, you were twice as likely to be sentenced to death, more than twice as likely to be sentenced to death in those election year. Uh, judicial overrides. Mm -hmm. So my, my, my point is here, you know, what, how, in the, how, can, how can we live in this state? And how can there not be a national outcry when Alabama's death penalty laws, the two laws that we have that result in people being sentenced to death, two out of three, are based on race. One is was specifically designed to target black people, the non-unanimous juries, and the other, the judicial override, has been applied in a way that results in racial discrimination, racial bias against blacks. Mm -hmm. There, sh there should be, you know, th this is this is horrible, and and now we're, you know. We've got another egregious example in addition to, I, I mentioned, but I didn't, I don't think I followed up on this, but Rocky Myers um, was sentenced by a non-unanimous jury 
I'm sorry, it was was non-unanimous, but it was nine to nine to nine to three for death, uh, for life without parole. But and he is one of those who one of the thirty-one uh, who was sentenced by a judicial override, a black man. Now the one, the gentleman who's coming up, and I say gentleman. And I know people are going to say, oh, he committed a crime. He shouldn't be called a gentleman. But anyway, you get the point. He's a person. Mm-hmm. He's a human right. being. He's, you know, we, we desensitize ourselves when we call people prisoners or inmates um, or defendants. But they're people. So Kenneth Eugene Smith was involved in a horrible crime. It was a murder for hire. But the person responsible for this woman's death was her husband, a preacher, a preacher who hired people to kill his wife. Mm -hmm. So now we have Kenneth Eugene Smith, who's set for execution on the 25th, this Thursday. Um, there's no evidence he, he touched, he didn't touch the victim. He was there looting the house. He was guilty. He should have been convicted. Should have been probably convicted of being an accomplice to murder, but not capital murder. And his jury recognized that. And they voted 11 to 1 for life. And the judge said, no, I'm going to kill you anyway. So, yeah. Governor, if, if, if I may ask you a question, uh, and, and first of all, let me just uh, again, thank you for uh, being so illuminating on these issues. Um, with your perspective as a former governor, what would you like to see happen to try to rectify this uh, these gross miscarriages of injustice. What would you like to see happen? Well, I think we need to see two things happen. Um, first, well, maybe more, but first, there needs to be a halt in executions to give the legislature <clears throat> time to deal with pre-filed legislation, which would deal with these subjects. There is absolutely in my mind, no rush to carry out death sentences. Um, I know Kay Ivey is a member of the First Baptist Church. They preach and study the Bible, and I know you can find things to support any any cause, uh, but Psalm 2411 says, rescue those unjustly sentenced to death. Well, we we have people who are unjustly sentenced to death. One one is Kenneth Eugene Smith. His jury voted 11 to 1 for life. So the legislature should come in, respect the right to trial by jury, respect the Sixth Amendment, respect the Supreme Court decision that outlawed judicial overrides, respect their own law that outlawed judicial overrides, and make this law, uh, the 2017 law, retroactive, and and 
sentenced these people to life in prison without parole. That's what the jury voted for. And that's what they, that's the, that's the sentence that they should have to stand for. The, those that have been sentenced by non-unanimous juries, really, uh, that law should be banned by the legislature or that the procedure that allows people to be sentenced to death by this relic of Jim Crow. Um, you know, let me just say this. This harkens back to George Wallace ordering state troopers on horseback to tear gas and, and billy club and send dogs out to beat down John Lewis and the freedom, you know, the people who wanted to simply wanted to write to vote. You know, why can't we understand that racism, no matter what form it takes, is, is, is wrong, is immoral, and needs to be stopped? We are here in 2024 using a relic of 1870 to put people to death, a law that was specifically designed to target Black folks. There are 54 people on death row, including DeForest Johnson who were sentenced by, by um, non-unanimous juries. So well, the I think you're assuming that some people want to understand it. You know? Uh, I, I, think, I think they understand it. I think they understand it well. Uh, I think well, that, uh, that, that they don't want to do anything about it. I don't think I they wanna, want to do anything. I want to I challenge you, Josh Moon and David. I want to challenge y'all to, I want you to take this podcast and send it Send it to Roland Martin or tell, send it to Killer Mike or send it to the Black Eagle in Washington on Sirius Radio or send it to uh, Al Sharpton. Send it to people who do understand. And let's start raising hell about it in Alabama and, and other places and put an end to this practice. We're in 2024. There is no reason to be operating on an 1870 Jim Crow law. And there's no reason for those 31 people to still be on death row. No, there's not. You're right. Um, uh, you know, and, and, you know, whenever I see, uh, yeah, and, and I know we're talking about race, but the, 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 as you said, uh, Kenneth Eugene Smith is going to be executed uh, Thursday evening um, or scheduled to be, um, is a white man. Uh, and, and he's still part of, you know, he's still kind of caught up in what is a, a system that is broken and it has been broken for, for a long time now. Um, and I think more and more people every day become uh, more disenchanted with, with this system that we have um, and, and the cruelty of it and, and the way the haphazard way that we apply it. And, the, uh, and just uh, whenever you have, I mean, this is the second time we've attempted to execute uh, Smith, uh, we, we put him in and, and couldn't find a vein, and, and now they've they've come back and now they're going to try to smother him to death uh, with a different uh, a different approach. And so, I don't I don't understand why we cannot 
capture better, I think, what is the, the, the overriding feelings of the majority of Alabamians, because I don't think the majority of Alabamians at this point are okay with judicial override, are okay with non-unanimous verdicts, are okay with uh, basically using a human being as a guinea pig uh, for execution methods. Uh, I, I don't think that they're okay with the way that we're running the prison system overall, but we don't face any political pushback on that. And I think that's the biggest problem is we, we don't have these folks that are willing to lead in our legislature. Was that a question? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean I, do you disagree with that? I mean, do you? No, no, I, 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 I do know. I've spoken to enough Republicans, uh, legislators behind the scenes. I've, I've tried to remain uh you know, respectful of of uh, Governor Ivey and and uh, the leadership in the House and Senate, and but I've spoken to a good number of them, and 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 they do uh, have some empathy and understanding that these processes that we're talking about today. Um, uh, well, let me just say this: I could tell that they felt a bit uneasy. Uh, when I was discussing this with them. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> the, uh, at the heart of the matter, I think is uh, maybe something that you inferred, and that is, uh, you know, Dr. King was, and, and John Lewis were marching for the right to vote because they understood that all of their rights and freedoms depended on whom we elected and whether or not they were going to be enforced or ignored. And mm -hmm. so we've got to, we've got, you know, to solve this problem, uh, you know, Congress needs to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. They need to pass the George Floyd uh, Act. <clears throat> we need to uh, repeal the immunity granted in the Federal Tort Claims Act that, that allows prosecutors to continue with this Supreme Court ruling of 1976, where they can withhold exculpatory evidence and uh, present false evidence or testimony. And, you know, getting back to that, I want to bring it back to the death penalty again. This is something I think I mentioned the last time I was on, but the Death Penalty Information Center showed that for every 8.3 people executed since 1976, one has been exonerated which means we've been getting it wrong 12% of the time. Well, they also found that of those people exonerated, 80% uh, were based on prosecutorial or police misconduct or the withholding of exculpatory evidence, presenting a false testimony. And of those 80%, 87.9 were black. So that just, that just says that prosecutors were targeting black folks for crimes they did not commit and framing them for those crimes mm -hmm. using false evidence, false testimony, withholding exculpatory evidence. And the, the system keeps going on and there needs to be an outcry. So I'm counting on you guys to help 
help the outcry. Well, we'll, do, we'll certainly do what we can, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, they, they, it's going to take more. I mean, it's going to take people getting, you know, involved in this and, and stop turning a blind eye. I mean, I, you know, this this past week or so, AL.com has done some really fantastic work in, um, in highlighting the problems with our correction system, our parole system, our uh, all of the horrors that are taking place within our prisons and stuff. And um, But it's going to require regular people. Uh, to hold people, you know, the folks accountable that, that are running these institutions and uh, that are in charge of our correction systems, that are in charge of our parole boards. And I, I don't know at this point, there seems to be such indifference among the masses. I, I don't know. How, how do you change that? How do you how do you change that and encourage people to get involved or, or to speak out? I think through through podcasts like you're doing here today, you and David, I think, you know, we and I, and I do believe that you know, we've got to get, you know, of course, Kim Kardashian weighed in. And I think yeah. Charles Barkley has Charles Barkley has raised his voice. Um, you know, we, we need to get more people like that. And again, I go back to, you know, uh, you know, podcast and radio hosts that that have a nation, national audience. And I do think that maybe, you know, you and you and David can reach those people. And tell them, you know, we need your help. We've got to, we've got to, you know, even Thomas Jefferson with his faults uh, said that the people, when the people are well-informed, they could be trusted with their own government. That's the same thing that you're saying, that when people are well-informed, if they're well-informed about these inequities, then they will do the right thing. Yeah. Um, So... I I am impressed, Governor, with the fact that you have uh, conceded that um, that that during your term as governor, perhaps you could have made some different choices. What would you like to see instituted to try to better equip, whether it's Governor Ivy or God willing, in the next few years, a Democratic governor to make these sorts of decisions? Uh, with with all of the information uh, that they need in front of them, or certainly with more than you had when you had to make these decisions? That's a, a great question. And uh, there has been, there has been legislation drafted uh, that, would, that would establish an independent uh, integrity unit, which would examine every death sentence and to accumulate all information, whether it was time barred or not, about uh, a person's uh, act, actions that resulted the, 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 to their being on death row. Um, if if I had had available to me in two thousand the information which has surfaced over the last 24 years i would have i would have commuted uh freddie lee Wright's sentence clearly um so what we need to do is to develop this independent integrity unit which can examine every death sentence to ensure that it has not been corrupted by um either misinformation or or deliberate uh, misconduct by prosecutors. 
So if there is an independent integrity unit that could pr produce a compilation of information that's available on every on every uh, person who's up for execution, then I think a governor would have a much better chance of making the right moral choice uh, and perhaps the right legal choice. All right. Well, I hope that um, that we can, you know, that we can do that. Certainly, we'll we'll do what we can here, and um, and it would it would be nice to, to implement such a program or uh, such a commission to to see that what what we can. I mean, why would anybody fight it? But I know I know how that goes uh, in this state, where in anything that you do down that aisle gets painted as soft on crime, um, even though uh, you know we're doing the exact opposite here. Um, and, and we're actually, uh, you know, endangering the public more with the way that we're operating our correction system. But, um, listen, Governor, thank you for coming on and spending yes. time and, and yes. highlighting these issues and talking so candidly about, you know, your, your time as governor and, and what you've been doing since. We really do appreciate what you've done and, and what you've been willing to do and, and spending some time with us as well. Yes. It's, um, uh, it's my pleasure. I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, close by, uh, echoing what you said, Josh, about our prisons and parole system being in crisis, the Justice Department has recognized that our prison system is in crisis. Uh, just recently, uh, lawsuits have been filed uh, that indicate that body parts, a heart and a brain, were missing from two inmates whose bodies were returned to their families. A lawsuit has been filed alleging uh, are showing that the uh, the prison system has been running something like a, a contract uh, a labor scheme that was reminiscent of the time after the Civil War when when black former black slaves were leased to companies to uh, to cut down on the cost of digging mines and and making steel. Um, it. Uh, the, the parole system was highlighted, as you said, in AL.com for being broken when 10 men over the age of 80 were refused parole. One uh, was Robert George, from, who's in Holman. He's been there for over 30 years. He's 84 years old. There for an accidental killing, he was convicted of manslaughter. And they told him to come back when he was 89. His, the victim's mother has written the DA and signed an affidavit to the judge asking that this 84-year-old man be released. But the DA is opposing his, his, uh, his release on a motion, a brutal 32 motion. Anyway, you guys have got your hands full. I appreciate you letting me come on. And uh, anything you can do to stir it up will be an asset to moral justice in Alabama. Thanks, right. well. Well, we, we do our best to stir it up. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Governor Don Siegelman. We really do appreciate it. And all right, we're going we're gonna to slide out. Uh, we'll come back, wrap this thing up in just a minute. Alabama Politics This Week. We're back in a minute. If you're hearing my voice, that means you are a fan of Alabama Politics This Week. And I want to tell you how grateful I am that you listen and that you're engaged with what Josh and I talk about every week. So I want to ask you to continue listening and uh, continue to support us and definitely reach out 
with ideas, comments, suggestions, uh, your support makes a difference and it means a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week, brought to you by Wind Creek Entertainment. Our thanks to former Governor Don Siegelman for joining us for a few minutes there and uh, mm-hmm. jumping in. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. And we'll answer or you know talk about your stuff uh, whenever you send it, uh, if, you know, if we can. Can, then, can, uh, I, can, can I just give him some kudos? Uh, I, I really like the fact that Okay, the, the the governor, as far as I know, is not planning an office run again, as far as I know. Right. Um, I, I think his days of running for, I assume his days of running for office are past. But I love the fact that he continues to be engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, that he continues to, to use his notoriety and his platform to uh, speak out on issues that he feels are, are important issues and that he makes himself accessible to, uh, you know, uh, media like us. I, I want to give yeah. him kudos for that. Yeah, I think it's it's very important uh, that he he continues to do it. Uh, I like that he has he's forged some relationships with some people. You know, I know that he and Governor Bentley um, uh, you know, wrote the op ed. Uh, mm-hmm. about the death penalty together. Uh, you know, I think that's a very important step to take. I think it's it's very important, some of the things that he's done uh, and some of the awareness that he's raised. Uh, I hate what happened to him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I feel like um, that he got caught up in a political uh, prosecution. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any, uh, to me, to me, in my opinion, there, there's no doubt that that's what took place. You mm-hmm. know, that there, uh, in my mind, there's no doubt that he got caught, no matter whether you look at it and say, well, what he did was technically wrong, um, I, I think it's one of those things that, while maybe technically wrong, was something that had been done so many times in the past. Um, and and there was, it's, it's kind of like, I'll tell you what it's kind of like to me, it's kind of along the same lines as uh, these uh, 501c3s. Uh, that are that are being used for for PACs or whatever for fundraising or for, or you know for uh, a political organization like API, uh, the Alabama Policy Institute, calling themselves a, a nonprofit and using that tax, you know, that tax free uh, label uh, to avoid paying taxes. Yet they're very clearly, very clearly slanted to one side or the other, uh, and and we know that it happens. We know that it happens with these uh, the tax free shelters on both sides. Uh, for for Republicans and Democrats or liberals and conservatives or what however you want to term it, we know that it's happening. We know that these these th- these organizations are involved in politics, and yet we don't do anything about it. It would be the same as now coming along and saying, "Oh yeah, you are now going to jail for this," uh, mm-hmm. you know. And and I, I feel like that's kind of what happened to to Don Siegelman uh, was was this you know the the placement of of a donor to a board that he had already been on. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It just was, mm-hmm. okay, well, maybe you shouldn't place a donor on a board. Okay, maybe we shouldn't, all right? But it's something that had been done so many times in the past that nobody even thought anything about it anymore. But, you know, it just, uh, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's um, it's something that uh, is benefiting the state uh, that he served. And I don't, I don't, other than, you know, maybe maybe some visibility, um, here or there, I don't, I don't know what what he gains from it at all, other yeah. than just the satisfaction of doing the right thing for some people. 
No, I think you're right. I don't, I, as far as I can tell, again, I don't, I'm not in his head. I'm not in his camp. I don't know what's planning or if he's planning anything, but it just seems to me like he's, what he's doing, he's doing as a concerned citizen and a former uh, elected official. And, and again, I just, I commend him for that if, if that is the case. And if he has an agenda, if he's got some, some, you know, dreams of returning to political office or something, you know, I would still say that what he's doing has value, you yes. know, and, you know, he's got an informed perspective and he's an, he's a knowledgeable person. And I think there's still value there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. All right. So uh, one other thing we need to bring up before the right wing nut is uh, the district two uh, race. Uh, Democrats are going to hold a televised debate, uh, right? It, this thing was going to be uh, a smaller event. It was canceled and, and then rescheduled for a televised event. Right. Yep. yep All right. Yep. And, and so we're going to get, is everybody, are we going to have 12 on the stage? Is that what we're going to do? Uh, I, by my count, it appears as though we're going to have six, six. Okay. So six. We're, cutting, we're cutting them in half. We've, we've narrowed that, it down to the top six. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, but it looks as though to me, we're talking about the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the top six, which would be, um, uh, Shamari figures, Anthony Daniels, uh, Wandelin Givon. Napoleon Bracey, Marika Coleman, and uh, Jeremy Gray. I, that's the that's the impression I have from the coverage. Well, that's the that's the six that I would put on the stage. So I mean, I don't you know, there's nobody else that I would I would that I would say right now really has a shot. Um, uh, I it's my understanding, and I believe there'll probably be an announcement of this before this podcast uh, is released, is that uh, Anthony Daniels has picked up the New South endorsement. Oh really? Um, hmm. Yeah. So, uh, which I think he's going to, he's going to get a lot more endorsements. We'll see if they make, you know, sometimes endorsements make a big dent. Sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, that, uh, what time and date, what's the time and date for, for that? Uh, so the, uh, this is supposed to happen. Um, it's going to be televised in February. Let's see. What is the date here? Uh, this story does not give a date. Um, but it says it's supposed to be happening in February, and I think it's only going to be shown uh, based on this story. It appears as though it's only going to be shown in Montgomery and Mobile, in those uh, markets. Well, and, that makes which, sense. That's where it's supposed to be served. Yeah. yeah, which makes sense. And so, uh, but yeah, sometime in February. Okay. All right. So, so sometime if I wonder if they, uh, I bet you they've they've set a date for this thing because I I had heard. Um, I had heard about this this thing being rescheduled um, uh, from from that from that initial uh, uh, January thirtieth to the thirty first, um, and then they were gonna they were gonna move it. I believe it was uh, two weeks. I think is what the what I had heard, uh, but. We'll we'll see we'll see exactly but I'm sure they're still trying to nail down the exact times and stuff uh, that they can get everybody uh, to the location to to handle that. Um, all right, right wing nut. All right, <laughs> so I wrote a column this mm-hmm. week about our uh, our correction system. 
and the problems that we have. And our right-wing nut is Chris Elliott, who's a state senator. I believe he's been a right-wing nut of ours previously. Um, he's a Republican state senator from uh, Mobile, the uh, Mobile area. Uh, Baldwin County, I believe, is where he, he serves. Um, and so this week, Elliot and the mayor of Foley uh, went on a bit of a media rampage in blaming the early release program, which was a, a program that was implemented by the state legislature a couple of years ago to allow certain inmates early release if they had proven themselves to be worthy of, the, of such, which means they stayed out of trouble. They completed some programs. They, they generally, uh, generally, you know, proved themselves to be fairly trustworthy individuals. Now, that doesn't always work. That's not 100% guarantee. It's not 100% guarantee on anything. You know, y'all right. got kids. You know, there's no, hundred, there's no guarantees on whether or not people are going to behave. Come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, one of the gentlemen uh, that was let out uh, uh, was, was allowed out and then failed to follow the law. Okay, he uh, he was let out in January of 2023, early release in January 2023. Wasn't much of an early release. He had served 19 years of a 20 year sentence. So, uh, you know, not much of an early release, Uh, but he was allowed out. He failed to follow the law, failed to register as a sex offender. Um, And so uh, and he was then arrested in February of 2023 and put back in prison and forced to. Uh, complete the end of his um, the end of his sentence, which he did. He he re- he went back into jail, um, and the, uh, the gentleman's name is Bernard Abney, by the way. Um, and then last week, he was arrested again. Uh, he was originally arrested back in two thousand and three on a charge of kidnapping and um, and second degree rape. He eventually pleaded guilty to the second degree rape charge and was sentenced to the twenty years. This time, he was arrested uh, for assault and attempted rape of a Foley woman. Uh, And the mayor and our friend, Mr. Elliott, Senator Elliott, I should say, uh, blamed the early release program. Except the early release program didn't have anything to do with it. Right. He wasn't early released. He was released at the end of his sentence. Mm -hmm. And and they, they went on this... This uh, this little rampage talking about this person was let out early because he was sentenced to twenty years in two thousand and five, and you know, and you know, and the early release program was part of this thing. And why are we letting people out of jail before they end their sentences and serve out all their time? And we'll, we'll never get to we're letting bad people out, and they can take advantage of good people. This is one of the major problems that we have. Okay, is that our people that we have elected in, to put in charge of running this state are more interested in the little sound bites that they can create than they are in learning how the systems that they're in charge of actually work. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because this guy was not out early. He served the end of his sentence. And the reason he served the end of his sentence is because, yes, when you're sentenced in 2005, to 20 years, that might seem to you, if you don't know how things work, it may seem to you as though he's, well, he's out a year and a half at least early, right? Well, no, because he wasn't arrested in 2005, because if you're familiar with our system at all, you know going through the judicial system in this state takes you years at times. Yeah. And so he was actually arrested in 2003. That's when he was charged. Mm-hmm. And so he had served a year and a half, one year, six months, and I believe 21 days prior to his guilty plea, at which time he was sentenced to the 20 years. So he gets credit 
for that time that he was sitting in jail for a year and a half. And that's the reason why he was out when he was out. Right. Right. And so it just, it, it's, man, you know, so, it's so, it's got to be so frustrating to people like Cam Ward and some of these other folks to have these folks come over the top of them and, and talk about things that they clearly don't know anything about. And it's why the system is so screwed up. Mm-hmm. So what I hear you saying, and, and I, and I agree with this is that they're impugning a program that has the potential to do good because they fail to understand how the parole system works. Yes. And, and, and they have, and they have, and they're trying to, you could argue really that they're really politicizing uh, this, this unfortunate situation where this man reoffends, and nobody's giving him a pass on that. He's reoffended right. and reoffenders, you know, allegedly, 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 well, allegedly. Okay. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Good well, point. Yeah. Allegedly. Guilty, innocent until proven guilty. Innocent so, until still, proven guilty. More but than at likely. Least he was, yes. At he least did. he was arrested. At least he was yes. arrested for allegedly reoffending. You're right. Exactly. Thanks for calling yes. me on that. And so, and so he, um, you know, if he did indeed reoffend, as it appears he may have, then you know he he you know he needs to face the consequences for of that, course. W- without question. But that should not then be misconstrued as a failure of early release, which has the potential to do good not only for people who are incarcerated in their families, but for a very stressed and pressurized penal system, right? And for us, for all and of for us, us on the outside who may, may encounter these folks out yeah. there. Because because yeah. when you do the early release program, it's a monitoring program, all right? Mm-hmm. They have to report in to people. They have to go, they have to prove that they're getting employment. They have to show where they're living. They have to avoid being around other felons and people, known felons and, and poor associates. So they have to, you know, they have to take drug tests. They have to do a whole variety of things where if you just force them to serve out, this is a this is an argument that Chris England has had for years that our parole system by not paroling people is is causing a, a worse public safety issue because you're allowing folks out and just I mean you've you've kept this person in lock locked up in a cage right. uh, essentially for twenty years right. and then you just toss them out and right. nobody it, monitors them or or right. or helps them or does anything. Right. And in this guy's case, again, assuming that he's guilty of reoffending it, you know, as I read the, as I read your column, Josh, it, it appeared to me as though, you know, he's, you know, he went out and committed the exact, you know, allegedly went out and committed the exact same crime that he had been convicted of in the first place, mm-hmm. you know, previously, which suggests that he, he's got some kind of a, um, you know, I'm going to say what I one one of the things I thought of was this guy may have a if this is true he may have an impulse problem he may yeah. you know he he needs some help in in learning how to deal with whatever these urges are within him that cause him to want to rape women again assuming it's true that he reoffended yeah and, and so um, it goes to your point about the value of having a parole system where people are monitored well. And that that yes that that is it, it, you know I think we, we definitely have that but in, in addition what we don't have is a rehabilitation system 
you know, mm-hmm. and that's the big one of the biggest problems um, mm-hmm. is is that we we have a lot of times when we do these things because we are not carrying through on the programs because we're not properly funding the programs because we're not properly staffing the programs that we have in these prisons. We're not we're unaware of the danger that some of these folks might pose to society uh, when we when we release them, whether it be through early release or end of sentence or anything else. We're, we have a real problem there. And because we're not properly rehabilitating people, because we're not putting those programs in place. And and it just, again, it, it costs as much to have a terrible correction system as it does to have a good correction system. Mm. All right. Maybe it, it might actually cost less. OK, because, uh, you know, you're, you're probably going to be uh, rearresting people at a lo- much lower rate. You're, you're going to certainly have le- far less litigation uh, that you're facing that you have to defend. Um, and so. What we're doing is counterproductive to everything we say we want. We say we want to save money. We say we want to rehabilitate people. We say we want to make sure that we have public safety. We're, what we're running is a program that's counter to all of that. Right. And then we got politicians that don't understand any of it that are running the thing. And that explains it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh. So on that fine note. I'm off to Disney World. Uh, listen, uh, (laughs) (laughs) until next week, y'all be safe out there. All right. Enjoy. Peace. Mm